Hi, I'm Michaela, and this is a Youth Speaks episode. Youth Speaks episodes are planned, created, and recorded by youth. Today, we're going to be talking about the war on drugs and how it has disproportionately hurt communities of color across America. Imagine being sent to prison for five or more years due to a simple possession charge for as little as five grams or the weight of a nickel of crack cocaine. You watch as someone else gets the same sentence as you, but for 500 grams or the weight of 100 nickels of powder cocaine. Upon being released from prison, you face a new life full of denial of jobs, affordable housing, welfare, voting, and so much more. This is a dark reality that millions of Americans have faced since President Richard Nixon declared the war on drugs in 1971. While many may argue that the war on drugs campaign was just another set of drug policies, by looking at the purpose of the original legislation, the difference in criminalization between crack cocaine and powder cocaine and mass incarceration, it is clear that the war on drugs has disproportionately affected black and brown communities. One assumption that people make about the war on drugs is that they don't realize that it targeted specific groups of people. They just assume that it was intended to lower crime rates and drug usage. However, it's clear that it was developed in order to target two specific groups, the hippies and black and brown communities. In 1994, a former Nixon administration advisor, John Ehrlichman, sat down for an interview with Dan Baum and stated, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. This is obviously a pretty shocking quote to hear. Beyond just this quote, by examining the actual factual and legislative evidence, it is clear that the war on drugs has racist roots. The war on drugs helped push harmful stereotypes and narratives that were extremely harmful to black and brown Americans. To show the public the dangers of crack cocaine, the government pushed the narrative of dangerous crack babies and crackheads. There was a strong effort to portray these these dangerous crack addicts as black in order to criminalized black communities. Pregnant crack addicts were described as giving birth to a generation of crack babies that were thought to suffer from more pronounced developmental difficulties by their in utero exposure to the drug. While there is some truth in the fact that children born from mothers addicted to crack may be affected, most of the effects are not severe and present themselves as low birth weight, height, or head circumference. Pushing the narrative of crazy crackheads was harmful to black communities as it painted most crack users as black and pushed the narrative that black people are dangerous drug addicted criminals. The government got people to fear these crackheads by claiming that they contributed to a rise in violent crime rates. However, it was found that this claim was false. Researchers found that almost 65% of all crack cases did not involve weapons at all, and only 2.3% of crack offenders actually used a weapon in their case. In fact, it was found that 85% of all crack-related fatalities were due to involvement with the legal drug market, not from active usage of the drug. By ignoring the scientific evidence, the U.S. government was able to create a fear of crack users. This fear was detrimental to Black communities and contributed to false stereotypes of dangerous and violent Black crack users. Another supposed goal of the U.S. government was to target drug kingpins. However, 
The legislation behind this goal was flawed in, in deliver, delivery. One of these pieces was the establishment of mandatory minimums. Mandatory minimums in this context are mandatory minimum jail sentences given to those in possession of certain quantities of drugs. However, because these mandatory minimums are in place for very small drug quantities, low-level drug users are more impacted than kingpins. Over 70% of crack convicts were involved in low-level drug interactions and the role of street-level dealers, transportation, or lookouts. Thus, while the government may claim that the war on drugs was targeted towards kingpins and others that were transporting and dealing large amounts of drugs, in reality, their policies targeted people who may have possessed a very small quantity of a drug. If the government truly wanted to target kingpins and large drug rings, they should have instead put policies in place that would impact those possessing or transporting very large amounts of drugs. Next, it's important to address how the U.S. government criminalized different, topic, different types of drugs differently. Regardless of the fact that scientists have found no major differences in the side effects or chemical makeups of powder cocaine and crack cocaine, the U.S. government decided to criminalize crack users more harshly. The only difference between the two drugs is the user. Since crack is typically cheaper, it is a drug of choice for many low-income Americans, many of which that tended to be black or brown. Someone could buy a container of multiple crack rocks for as little as $5 to $20. On the other side, powder cocaine tends to be significantly more expensive, but is, is typically used by those who are wealthy and mainly white. In order to buy as little as half a gram to a full gram, you must pay anywhere from between $50 to $100 for powder cocaine. Since the government noticed the disparities in crack versus powder cocaine user, users, they implemented unfair policies and punishments targeted towards black and brown drug users. In 1986, Congress passed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 in an attempt to punish drug users more harshly. Within this act, mandatory minimums were created alongside a 100 to 1 sentencing ratio between powder cocaine and crack. As described previously, mandatory minimums were established to set minimum jail times for various drug charges. Mandatory minimums and the 100 to 1 sentencing disparity are interconnected. Someone could be sentenced to a minimum of five years in prison for crimes involving five grams of crack or 500 grams of powder cocaine. For context, five gram is, is about the weight of two pennies and 500 grams is about the weight of a loaf of bread. The next mandatory minimum level established was at least 10 years in prison for crimes involving 50 grams of crack or 5,000 grams of powder cocaine. 50 grams of crack is approximately the weight of a candy bar, and 5,000 grams is approximately the weight of a gallon of paint. Due to these sentencing disparities, someone could be caught with a very small amount of crack and be sentenced to many years in prison whereas someone with the same amount of powder cocaine could re would receive a much shorter sentence or none at all. This policy unfairly targeted black and brown crack users and protected the white powder cocaine users. As if this policy wasn't harmful enough, Congress passed the Omnibus Anti-Drug Abuse Act in 1988, which increased the sentencing disparity between crack and powder cocaine. This act was introduced as crime rates were still rising steadily and the government wanted to get even tougher on crime by, harsh, by more harshly criminalizing simple drug possession. The five-year mandatory minimum was kept for crack, but introduced was a new 20-year maximum sentence for sim simple possession of five or more grams of crack. 
While this established potential longer prison sentences for crack, the mental the maximum prison sentence for simple possession of powder cocaine and any other drug remained at the maximum of one year in prison. This act helped compound the unfair and racist effects of the war on drugs on black and brown communities. Even beyond legislation, the war on drugs had startling effects on communities of color. Mass incarceration is an issue that has plagued black and brown communities over the past few decades, and the war on drugs is, is mainly to blame. This, combined with unjust policies and enforcement, has led to a large black and brown prison population. Besides the fact that minimum that mandatory minimums established unequal minimum prison sentences, the actual difference in the average sentences between crack and powder cocaine in 2003 was 123 months or nearly three and a half years. This data can seem kind of irrelevant because it's from 18 years ago, but it was taken from the height of the war on drugs, which makes it relevant to this observation. This statistic shows that this is, the sentences for crack users were extended past the mandatory minimums and that the sentences for powder cocaine users were set at or very close to the mandatory minimums. At the height of the war on drugs, the average prison time for black people convicted of drug charges rose by 77%, whereas white convicts only saw a 28% increase. Also during this time period, nine times as many black people were sent to federal prison on crack offenses as white people were. This increase was due to the passage and enforcement of unequal drug sentencing policies and enforcement. In the almost 30 years between 1980 and 2009, the prison population increased from 40,000 to approximately 500,000, which is an 1,100% increase. If that wasn't bad enough, the number of Americans incarcerated in 2009 alone was more than the entire prison population in 1980. While the war on drugs is not responsible for the entirety of mass incarceration, it is responsible for a substantial part of it. In the decades following the declaration of the war on drugs, the number of drug-related arrests rose over 126%. The rise in the number of, of drug-related offenses then correlates to the rise in the number of those being convicted of these crimes and sent to prison, therefore increasing the prison population. Although there is not a dif large difference in drug usage between races, white people are significantly less likely to be arrested for drug-related offenses, and when they are arrested, they are also less likely to be convicted of any crimes. The effects of this can be seen in the fact that when looking at the population of drug offenders in federal and state prisons, 80% of pris prisoners in the federal system and 60% in the state system are Black or Latino. This provides people with even more evidence that there's a severe disproportionality between white, and white versus black and brown people in prison simply because of the war on drugs. Even after release from prison, life is continuously made difficult for ex-drug ex convicts. When someone is labeled as a felon, they are essentially able to be treated as a second-class citizen by denying them different opportunities and privileges. This includes denial of opportunities such as jobs, affordable and public housing, child custody, any type of government financial aid, and most notably the right to vote. Some states have made it legal for felons to be stripped of the right to vote, which has disproportionately affected black men and women. Approximately 13% of black men have lost the right to vote due to felon disenfranchisement laws. 
Due to denial of these various opportunities and services, it perpetuates a stigma that ex-felons are labeled by their crimes and are not able to be functioning members of society again. Combined with this stigma, without successful reintegration into society, people are more likely to return to prison and are continuing to pay for their crimes even after they did their time. Ultimately, by being charged with a crime, even as minor as a simple drug possession for a small quantity, one can be denied the return to life as they know it. For the hundreds of thousands of Black and Brown Americans convicted of low-level drug charges, it is a startling reminder of how the U.S. government originally wanted to criminalize their community specifically. In conclusion, what reason would the U.S. government introduce the war on drugs to specifically target crack users so harshly when the dangerous side effects and crime rates associated with powder cocaine were nearly the same? Again, it's because the U.S. government saw Black and Brown communities as undesirable and dangerous to white people. By introducing harsh mandatory minimums and the 100 to 1 sentencing disparity, the U.S. government succeeded at unfairly criminalizing Black and Brown communities. As a result of drug laws and policing disproportionately impacting Black and Brown communities, mass incarceration also affects them disproportionately. One minor drug conviction can determine the quality of life and opportunities one receives as the, for the rest of their post-prison life. Positively, President Obama declared an end to the war on drugs in 2009, as he believed it was harmful and counterproductive and thus inhibited the use of substance abuse programs. However, just because it was declared to be done doesn't mean that the effects aren't still felt today. Hundreds of thousands of Black and Brown Americans remain in prison or on parole in order to serve out lengthy drug sentences. Once released from prison, they will enter a world in which contains large amounts of hypocrisy. They've spent years in prison because of minor drug charges, which were considered criminal issues, only to witness thousands of white Americans falling victim to the opioid crisis, which is seen as a mental health issue. Americans everywhere must be committed to ending the unfair and racist narratives and policies that still linger from the original declaration of the war on drugs in the 70s. After all, America was created on the basis of equality and fairness, and how can we do that if we are unnecessarily over-criminalizing our black and brown brothers and sisters? Thank you for listening to this episode of Youth Speaks. Join us next time. Bye.